Are we not the bestest of friends already? Only in media. Hello, everyone. It's time to put Into Club on the radio. Crank Chicago. It's going all the way back to 2003. It's time for a stargazing special, Ryan Sutercast. Mark, glad you could could get back in action and join me this week to to celebrate everyone's favorite Dallas defender, not named Miro Haskinen. Uh, it's, it's again, it's it's the Sutercast. Well, and and you know, I had to take last week off because you and Taylor put me on a mission to dig deep and not just eyeball test Ryan Suter, but to get into the numbers a little bit and to, to put a little uh, meat on those bones. Just so much meat. And, and you know, we, we are going to talk a little bit about the back-to-back, of course. We'll, we'll talk about how that went. We have thoughts. Um, as well, for those listening, if you know why I'm referencing In the Club and the movie Chicago, hit me up on the socials and let me know, and we'll, we'll find a way to do a fun shout-out. But, yeah, Mark, as, as you mentioned, we, we sent you on an assignment. And the, the funny thing, Stargazing listeners, Mark hasn't actually watched or consumed any other hockey over the past week, he's been on a, a strict 100% Ryan Suter focus, uh, sort of like, you know, the the heart of darkness kind of traveling down the river. It, it's uh, it's It's been a journey. And, and where, where do you want to start? Well, since I'm since I haven't been watching hockey, I can't really start with Antonio Strangis's debut with the Idaho Steelheads tonight. But uh, let, let's uh, let's actually start with some some hockey that we've watched in the last couple of days. Let's let's go back to uh, that fun game that was uh, with the Pittsburgh Penguins. What did you think? Yeah, I'm, I'm glad you brought that up. And, and I'm going to discuss the Pittsburgh Penguins. I think you have to talk about that game in combination with the game against the the Devils, because I, I think those two games very much show some of the progression of the stars, right? So the the first bit about Pittsburgh is that is what, you know, it's, it's the classic kind of old stars example of a winnable game that you let slip away because of an unwinnable moment, right? And and again, this is, this is eye test stuff, but you just felt, it felt like everybody just sort of assumed that game was going to get to overtime and then it didn't and nobody quite knew what to do. Right, exactly. And, and I mean, to tell you the truth, I don't feel so bad about that game because, I mean, Pittsburgh was on a heater. Uh, I, I think if I remember right, they'd won five straight, uh, so beating the Stars makes it six. But that wasn't a bad team that Dallas was playing, and they didn't, you know, per se, dominate play, but they were getting the better of the action, I would say. And so that goal and the loss kind of went against the 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 the, the traditional way it was playing out yeah i like to i have a i have lots of stupid phrases but one i like to use for games like that is i have contextual concerns about you know it's, it's one of those if you'd have told me before the game that you know first night of a road trip dallas loses a kind of a tense you know one goal game where you could argue that they might have deserved better probably would have taken it okay yeah that tracks as, as you mentioned pittsburgh's on a heater they're a good team um it's but it's one of those where then you sit down and watch the actual game and throwing a point away just in in the context of how that game played out just felt brutal right and and i mean it was it was one of those that was a little bit uh, old school in that 
you know, it, it, there wasn't a whole lot of expected goals going on. It wasn't really back and forth. It got pretty tight down the end. And, and Dallas seemed to be spending a lot of time down in the Pittsburgh end as we got later and later into the third period. And so you kind of figured that, yeah, it was going to go to overtime. But if it didn't go to overtime, it was going to go Dallas's way. Yeah. And then it emphatically did not. <laughs> <laughs> it, yeah, anything under a minute, minute is brutal. You just you just kind of throw up your hands and say, yeah, that one's a loss. And the clock's still there. But yeah, okay, time to go drown your depression. Yeah, and, and this is why I wanted to bring it up, right? Because then, then segueing against, you know, they're playing one of the surprises and one of the best teams in the league, right? And the New Jersey Devils, they're playing them the very next night. You have every reason for a sag, right? The team has, has thrown away points, you know, whether, whether or not they will ultimately win or not, who knows, but the reality is you get within a minute of the end of a game, you really should get a point out of it at least. So you have a stars team that had to pick itself up in relatively short order, playing with their backup goaltender, playing with a very good team. And you get this kind of, Gumbo well, start. Yeah. Well, and 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 as, as it goes along, you know, Schmidt is just absolutely goalieing them. So at a certain point, you kind of think frustration is going to set in, and and it's like, okay, we lost the last game, and now we're running into this this backup goaltender who you know we we brutalized him last year, and now he's just standing on his head, and it's going to kill us. All of a sudden, we're zero two on this road trip. Uh, woe is me. Yeah, and think as well, like think back to historical Dallas Stars teams, right? How many times has this franchise responded to adversity by getting goalied? Right, exactly. You know? and, and yeah, especially a backup. I mean, that's just old starsing right there. Yeah. But they, you know, after a, let's just say a first period that didn't exactly induce a lot of confidence, Dallas kind of got into it in the second and in the third. And made a and you know they they beat a very good team on a night when they had every reason not to yeah exactly and and it by the end of the game you kind of said yeah dallas deserved to win that game and, and i mean new jersey was the you know number two team in the league going in and and it kind of the opposite they'd lost a game or two in a row there but uh but yeah that was a game that you thought was gonna be tough and dallas kind of just blew right through it and let's move on to Washington DC. Yeah, and the thing I liked as well is I mean obviously a couple of empty netters bloat the score line, right? But again thinking back to how this team has grown and thinking back to the long-term potential, the Jersey game, you know, they went down, they came back. They this was not a game where they pulled away early and just sort of had to coast into the barn, right? It was nervy. It was, you know, New Jersey, Dallas was certainly playing well, but they they kind of had to. Um, this wasn't a game where they kind of they got into the third period and could just sort of put it in cruise control and, and wait for the points to come. They had to fight for it. They had to stay sharp. They had to stay focused, which, of course, was a problem. And, and again, Jekyll and Hyde right on on Monday, they kind of learned the lesson. Right. You make one mistake. It winds up in the back of your net. And all of a sudden, the guaranteed point you were going to get turns into nothing uh, the next night. You keep your focus and it's a four to one win and everybody's happy. Right, exactly. And but before it gets to be four to one, you you have you know, just sitting there on the right wing, you have Jesper Jesper Bratt coming down and creating chances on his on his own with speed. And it's like, yeah, one of those just definitely has a chance to go in and, and ruin the scenario you just talked about. Yeah, absolutely. And 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 
you know, again, backup goaltender, right? And Wedgwood has been very good, and there have been moments where he has, you know, that 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 is hardly the sort of save that you just sort of look at and assume, oh, well, the goalie's going to get this. Yeah, yeah, exactly. And, and and there were one or two there where the goalie didn't get it. And uh, and, and and my man, the Vezina Trophy uh, <laughs> candidate, Ryan Suter, just stepped right up, took one off the chest, and 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 saved the goal. I was going to say there, there's our segue, right? So I test, um, you know, Ryan, I'm, I'm the guy sitting behind the prove me wrong sign, right? Is Ryan Suter won the game for the Dallas stars last night. Uh, he, he at least kept it from going into overtime, <laughs> I would say. And, uh, and, and you know, that, that that's not the only time it's happened. He's, he's yanked one off the line here within recent memory. Uh, you know, this is, the type of thing that you expect from a veteran and and regardless of whether you're you know fall on the side that says yeah he isn't really trying very hard yeah, i never see the effort that we think he should put in yeah he's lost a step or so all of these things are just kind of uh, anecdotal and uh, you see on the other side that yeah there's a bunch of stories that are on the other side where ryan Suter is doing exactly what the dallas stars need in order to be competitive and be a winning team yeah, and let's let's dive into this, right? So, you know, just the basics, the the top, the the boxcar stats. So this is this is a, a gentleman so far this season who has, I believe, five assists. Um, that's his offensive contribution to the stars. He spent a little bit of time on the second power play. Does not have, sorry, has one point, um, one power play assist to show for it. Recently got bumped off, so you know, production has been an issue. There's the contract. Obviously, he's making 3.65 against the cap uh, this season and two more after. So there, he's on the hook until after the 24-25 season, 37 years old, uh, has been sort of the inheritor of, and it's hardly a thing that's unique to the Dallas Stars, but, you know, there it was, it was um, you know, for a while, Trevor Daly. And you know, there's always a guy, you know, uh, that, that we as fans tend to heap misery upon. And he seems to have inherited that role on the Stars blue line. Right? Goligowski had it um, had it for a little while. Robida was always kind of on the verge of, of being that guy. So, you know, you you being the, the pseudorologist here, what would you say summarize for me? his contributions to the stars, like what, what is he right now this season? I mean, right now what he is, is uh, he's, he's a stalwart as a second D pair guy and he's getting the minutes. He's, he's top two in minutes, uh, probably right behind Miro. And, you know, he plays penalty kill. He sometimes plays power play. So at that point, you know, he's he's giving the coaching staff exactly what they're asking from. Him. Well, and let me let me ask a quick question here. You mentioned he's you know that stalwart second line presence. Is is he that guy because he is that guy, or is he that guy because looking down the rest of the Stars roster, you know, outside of Haskinen and Lindell, you've got Colin Miller, Yanni Hockenpah, Nils Lundqvist, and Joel Handler, the other names that have played this season, right? So I guess my point is. Is Suter where he is because he should be, or is Suter where he is because Dallas has to put someone there? Well, let's kind of dig into this because we we have a, a major contrast between last year and this year. Last year, you know, Suter was was pretty much nailed right next to Miro Haskinen, and the numbers for that pair looked pretty good. Take a look at, at expected goals; they were scoring a little over two goals a game, uh, two goals per sixty, if you will. 
So that's a pretty low number in the scheme of things, but they were only giving up 1.74 goals per 60. So that was, it, was, it was a fairly positive pair. Um, if you put Suter with John Klingberg, they were giving up goals. They weren't scoring that many. Amazingly, what, what you saw was that he and Yanni Hockenpah were about the wildest pair that you could get out there. <laughs> but what we see now with this year is that at least starting out, he was he was paired up with Niels Lundqvist. And he and Lundqvist just have not been that good together. Uh, again, if you go to the... Uh, to, to the goals per 60 or the expected goals per 60, they're, they're scoring at a 2.9 rate and they're giving up at about a four rate. So that's, that's incredibly bad. Um, now, so if you, how if much you, of, oh, sorry, please continue. Well, I, and, and he's also spent some time with Miro and the, the Miro numbers are looking about the same as it was last year. They're, you know, both the, both the expected, and the expected against are up a little bit, but it's still fairly positive. So this kind of leads me to question is how much of what we see on the positive side with Ryan Suter is directly related to the time that he's spending with Miro Haskinen? And, and if that's the case, how much are, of that are we attributing it to him and how much are we just attributing it to the fact that, uh, you know, he's playing with the, the best defender, the franchise guy on the team? Yeah, and that, that's what I was going to ask, right, is is what does Miro look like without Suter? Right, and and there's another there's another thing that I think we, we need to look at that gets overlooked quite a bit is we also see a lot of time where he's playing with Rupa Hintz, Jason Robertson, and Joe Propelski. Very positive with them, but if you start going down into the second line with Sagan, with Ben, all of the lines down the lineup, all of a sudden those numbers end up being negative. And so, you know, what do you say? Is Ryan Suter a guy that you have to put in with Miro Haskinen? Is he a guy that you have to put in with your top uh, with, with your top line, really one of the top lines in the NHL, in order to be a positive player? And at least that five on five, that's kind of what the numbers look like. So he's a guy. He's a guy. (laughs) He's sort of the situational player where when he, if it's from what I'm understanding is correct, his performance tends to be defined by who he's with, right? If he's out, he's not when he is with Nils Lundqvist, who is not at a point where he's sort of driving his, his play on his own, right? Then Suter is, is more anchor than engine, but in situations where Suter is playing with kind of up lineup in terms of the forwards he's with, certainly when he's, you know, riding sidekick to Miro Haskin and seems like when you put Suter in a positive situation, he can at least maintain the positivity of that situation. What he's not been able to do is kind of bring, bring make his own meal, uh, so to speak. Right, exactly, exactly. And so, yeah, I, I like the way that you're putting it there, that it, it, he's, he's not hurting good, good players, but he needs good players around him in order for him to be successful. And, and, and here again, I, this is all based on five-on-five numbers. Uh, we can dive in a little bit on the penalty kill and also on the power play as well, because um, there, there's some things that he does there that are potentially good. Well, let's let's start with the power play because the most recent news there, and this was I think two games ago, is Suter has finally he he had been working he had been working the second unit, 
and has finally started to seed some of that ice time. Again, you know, we talked about the production just isn't there. And, you know, we, we the, the team finally seems like they're looking at other options for that spot. So tell me a little bit about Ryan Suter, the power play force. Well, right now, I mean, up front, I think you have to just take a look and say, when you look at the goals that are coming in for Dallas on the power play, the, the top unit is just killing it. And the second unit is not. And if you look at the numbers, I think what you're seeing is that there's probably going to be some regression both ways. Uh, the, the, the top unit is just killing it so much. They're probably not going to keep doing that the whole year. Um, the second unit, the numbers are pretty bad, but the expected goal numbers aren't that bad. They're kind of league average. And so that, that unit's probably going to have some success. They're getting their chances. They just aren't putting them in the net. Um, I think the one thing that, that the numbers kind of show in here, here with the second unit, they've been trying to move in Dennis Gurionov and a couple other guys to be kind of a force forward on that second unit. And the unit's actually performed a whole lot better with the two defenders. Um, having only one defender there has kind of opened up, um, has kind of opened up the floodgates as far as giving up chances. And it hasn't created any more offense. In fact, it's kind of kicked the offense down even further. Yeah. Well, and it, it so seems I, like uh, from an eye test perspective, that unit seems to have struggled getting getting established, getting the puck, you know, kind of progressing the puck up the ice. And as well, it seems like they've they've also struggled even when once they do get set up in the zone, they've had trouble moving the puck quick. Uh, they've they've had trouble moving shooting lanes open. Right, that that unit tends to be very stagnant. Correct, correct, and I think a lot of that has to do with 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 Suter and and with uh, with somebody like Lundqvist on on and helping as another defender. It opens up his shot, and I think it also means that we aren't so exposed directly at the blue line. Where if uh, if somebody makes a bad mistake, it's not a two on one going the other way. Yeah, that's that's the other thing that that has stood out to me. And it's it's not a you know it's a father time is undefeated thing, but it seems like the trouble comes when Ryan Suter is put in situations where he has to kind of turn and pursue right or or when he has to when athleticism is the key you know all of a sudden you know there's there's a, a bobbled puck at the line there's a turnover somebody else makes a mistake right when he gets stuck in situations where he has to roam and potentially cover somebody else's mistake, that seems to be when when we run into some difficulties. Correct. And and I think, uh, you know, the eyeball test and the numbers actually bear that out. But but yet I still I, I still would come back to say that the second unit, as, as bad as they've been uh, on the expected goal level, they're league average. So, you know, the Stars power play is uh, is what third in the league right now, I think somewhere somewhere pretty high up. Mm-hmm. But uh, but that's almost, you know, on the top end, it's driven by the number one unit, which which kind of gets two minutes for every one minute of the of the second unit. But they you know, Suter hasn't been that bad. And it's been better when he's paired with another defender. More of a traditional set seems like it, it kind of um, plays to his strengths. Correct, and and I'd also throw out there just you know if I'm going numbers based, um, 
the second unit's getting their looks, um, they're going to end up scoring some here. And mm -hmm. so I don't think the distinction between the success of the first unit and the lack of success on the second unit is nearly as bad as just this, the raw, here's the number of goals that they've scored uh, so far this season. I think there's some some statistical anomaly, uh, anomalies there just based on the sample size. Yeah, and, and to, to your point earlier, Dallas currently sits, they've got a 24.4% power play. That's 10th in the league. Okay. They are point. Uh, they are a tenth of a percent behind Toronto in ninth, and they are 0.6 behind uh, Minnesota in eighth. So it's very much a top 10 unit. So to your point, right, the, the, there are, as much as we talk about the second unit, quote unquote, struggling, they're struggling relative to a top 10 unit in the league. Right. And, and, and I've forgotten they've been, a, you know, they went through a couple of games there where they had some, uh, they weren't scoring on the power play. So it dropped. So 10, 10 is about as low as they've been all year. But uh, again, you know, I, I think I think Suter probably makes sense on the power play. And and I say this just having I went back and took a look at how uh, at how Dallas looked on the power play last year with John Kligberg running the first unit and Miro running the second unit. And both of those units were running about the same as Suter's running the second unit is this year. So again, I, you know, the Dallas Stars power play wasn't lighting anything on fire last year, but maybe our expectations are just off the charts because of how great that first unit's been. I mean, it's it's impossible not to, you know, you you see the first unit come out and the way that they play and and you know, Jason Robertson and you've got what he's got 15 points on the power play right now, six goals, Jamie Ben 12 points, Miro's got 11 points. Hence, Pavelski both have nine, right? So it's it's it is simultaneous. It, it's an unfair comparison, but it's also a totally understandable comparison when you've got you know the unit the the one unit going out there and you know breaking the curve. It's only natural to look at the second unit that's you know fine and be disappointed because you're used to not fine, profoundly not fine. Right. And you have to also take a look. I think that the first unit plays together all the time. They throw in Jamie Ben in a position that that he's kind of this year uniquely qualified to do. And you take a look at who Suter has up front on the second unit. And you know, Wyatt Johnston loves a kid, brand new in the league, a lot to learn. Mason Marchment, new to the team. And and Tyler Sagan, so there there is a little bit there as far as taking a little bit of time to gel, and and pull it together. That the first unit they they could just hit the ice ready to go at the beginning of the year because they played together as a unit last year exactly the same way. Yeah, so I, I think I, I think it bears watching. Your point about them not being as bad as it would seem when you compare them to normal, not excellent. I think that's a valid one. I think as well the eye test point they are getting looks. So this this could be a situation where the regression monster hits, and over time we see things start to to equalize a little bit. But you know, sometimes it doesn't. And sometimes the way that you get regression to strike is by making a tweak or making a change. And we may have seen the start of that change being, you know, a little bit of de-emphasization of, of Ryan Suter and see what the rest of the crew can do. So the power play certainly bears watching. Now, yep. you know, you mentioned earlier one segue, the other the other side of the special teams coin, Dallas is 84.4% on the kill. That's good for third in the league. San Jose, <laughs> go figure, is at 846 <laughs> And um, the Boston Bruins, to the surprise of nobody, are at 85.9. So Dallas is is 
you know, a, definitely an elite unit down a man, and they've certainly had to be, which is a whole different discussion. So tell me a little bit about Ryan Suter's impact and influence on the penalty kill. Well, and again, here, you, you start off by looking at the Suter and Miro are the are the second pair defenders. And so the guys who get the most time are going to be Yanni Hockenpah and Essa Lindell. And they play, again, it, it's almost like first unit, second unit on the power play. Those, you know, Lindell and Hockenpah play a lot of minutes on the penalty kill. And it takes a while for, for Haskinen and Suter to actually get time in. But when they do, they're pretty successful. They're giving up anywhere between five and six goals every 60 minutes, which is which is highly, you know, that that's top 25% in the league right there. So together, they're very good, which again brings you the question of, okay, well, uh, how much of that is Miro-based and how much of that is, is Suter-based? I um, have a theory. Okay, let's hear it. About the, about the penalty kill. So we talked earlier about one of the areas, in my opinion, that Suter is struggling, particularly are areas where he is having to turn and chase and pursue the play, right? Areas where he's having to leg things out. Simultaneously, Yanni Hockenpah will not be confused for Miro Haskinen under any circumstances. And one of the things that, I, that I've been thinking about the, the penalty kill is Dallas doesn't do a lot of their defending by pushing the puck up like they, they don't do a lot of their defending on the four check Dallas's penalty kill does a lot of its defending kind of the old-fashioned way the other team has the puck they just can't do anything meaningful with it because Dallas is you know they're they're tight in the middle they're clogging shooting lanes they're they're doing the things a power play needs to do to keep the puck external and then to clear the puck and it sort of to from from my uneducated eye, seems to play against or play to Suter's strengths and against his weaknesses, because the the way that the penalty kill typically does its work, he's not being asked to be this you know two hundred foot hyper athlete. He's being asked to be positionally sound. He's being asked to consistently make the right reads and just throw the puck down the ice, which yeah he seems to still be able to do at a very high level. Yeah, and he'll find lanes, and uh, and the thing is, the the penalty kill is set up to react to bobbles and mistakes, and, and they're very opportunistic that way, mm -hmm. and they get into trouble when teams just kind of zip it around, which I guess is probably true for, for pretty much anybody, but it's getting sticks into the lanes, not, not giving up Royal Road passes, various things like this, and, that, and, and you're right, that's all kind of things that... You know, veteran instinct is what's going to help you there, uh, not necessarily just the raw skill of uh, or the raw athletics of defending. Now, the interesting thing that I noticed looking at this, I took a look at the first pair uh, with with Hockenpah and uh, and Lindell, and they their numbers are actually substantively worse this year than they were last year, and I don't know that I have a real good answer as to why. Um, but the expected goals that we're giving up with the with our our defenders, our, our our top defenders, are significantly out of whack from the actual goals that have happened. And so, I have a theory, and, and that that theory is that because of the pressure that the forwards are putting on, um, we're not. We're, we're, we're not having the same kind of reaction for blocking shots and, uh, mm. and 
and clearing pucks out of the uh, out of the crease that we did last year. And so the skill set that that those two have, and and their numbers were very very good uh, last year. Uh, the skill sets that they have are slightly different for this pressuring type uh, type penalty kill that we're running right now. And the goaltenders are stepping up and taking care of it. And and I'm not sure how long that's going to last. You know, there there's some weird numbers out there. I mean, you 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 take a look at somebody like uh, like uh, Kiviranta. Kiviranta. Kiviranta at four on five has better numbers than he does at five on five. <laughs> <laughs> That's hard to do. <laughs> <laughs> if if if, if Kiviranta, Kiviranta is scoring uh, his what his unit is scoring as many goals when he's on the ice on the penalty kill as they are giving up, um, and, and and neither one's a very high rate, but <laughs> this is just incredibly nuts, and, and and obviously I would say not sustainable, but. I, I, I may get to the point here where I need to break down what's going on with the with, with the forwards as well, because I think what we're doing on the penalty kill may be much more dominated by what's going on with what the forwards are doing than what's going on with what the defenders are doing. And, mm-hmm. and so some of what we're seeing in the statistics and the numbers for the defenders is is a bit of noise because the forwards are just killing it. I mean, the forward group has been really good this season. So that's that's one of those things where having done no research beyond watching the games and having no information beyond watching the games, I hear it and I'm like, yeah. The scary part is the forwards were good last year in an entirely different system, but we're working a couple new guys in. You know, Delandria, Delandria has been real solid. Um, Kivaranta, as I said, has been really solid. And and meanwhile, I, you know, you want to look for value in some of these guys. You know, Radek Foxa, Luke Glendening, all these guys that if you if you kind of look for the guys that you know this guy needs to be sitting in the press box, or or why isn't he getting a healthy scratch? These are some of the reasons why they're they're responsible for a, a large part of why this is the uh, number three penalty kill unit in the NHL. And given that the stars are obviously going to give up a lot of penalties, that's really important. And, and that's that's also part of a broader NHL trend, and it's not not a recent one. But we have over you know since really the first lockout witnessed the gradual transition of the fourth line. Teams have moved away from a fourth line of of grinders and and punchers, and moving to your your fourth line much now is much more specialized players. Right, it's a guy that's aces on the penalty kill. It's you know it's it's a, a player that that is potentially a power play specialist. Teams are using those those bottom three forwards as kind of special role tools rather than just oh, let's just find a guy and you know get get some size. They they have a thing to do. So hearing hearing about Kiviranta's effectiveness, it, it honestly kind of clarifies things a little bit why why he has been such a staple. And we haven't even had more, you know, we haven't had more than a one game sniff of, of, of Peterson at this point. Right, exactly. And, you know, I remember, you know, this goes back several years, but I remember when uh, when we didn't re-sign Vern Fiddler and, and Fiddler was just a mainstay on the on the penalty kill. And and I asked, you know, OK, are we going to are we going to miss him? And and the general response I got was, well, yeah, we'll find guys we'll find guys to do the penalty kill. And I'm not sure that's actually true. And, and here, you know, the interesting thing about Pete DeBoer is he kind of goes against what you're saying 
know, we, we have a specialized fourth line, but we still roll four lines. And, and that's one of the reasons why I, I like where this team is going moving forward. You know, we have older guys, but they aren't playing these, these mandatory 20 minute games because we get out there and it's first line, you know, usually it's actually first line, third line, second line, fourth line, first line. Yeah. You know, and it just repeat, repeat, repeat. If you take a look at the ship charts and, and, and so that's keeping us healthy and not putting us in a bad situation where we have to uh, where, where we have to abuse somebody. And, and by the end of the year, we're going to, we're going to burn them out. Yeah. That's, that's been a, thankfully a very positive DeBoer influence on this team, right? Is there's, there's been a lot of um, equal usage. Yeah. I mean, you, you just go to a general NHL box score and you take a look and you know, every, every night you're going to see a couple players that are sitting there in single digits in minutes. And you go to a Dallas stars box score and you kind of have to search around to find one where somebody's under 10. Yeah. And I think as well, it's, we've seen some kind of, pass along benefits. I, I am very much in the camp that attributes Jamie Ben's success this season to the fact that he is no longer required to be capital T, capital G, the guy. Yeah, he can be a third, th- you know, a third line guy. He's getting in his 13, 14 minutes a game and he can put a little more energy in it because he knows what how much he's going to have to give that night. And, and the team, and on nights when he doesn't have it, all of a sudden it's not a you know, major deal. The team has other options. So, so I have one beef here and maybe, maybe you can help me out with this. Maybe I can, maybe I can't, but let's, you don't don't want to let beef simmer. You want to get it out there. Absolutely. Um, in going through, in going through all the numbers for the team, it's kind of hard to see what the options are because the stars kind of roll the same guys every single time. And so you don't know what you might be missing because you keep, rolling the same thing yeah is that a problem i i don't know i don't the 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 challenge is when the things that you keep rolling over and over again are excellent then i don't know i don't think that it is it's it's very hard to look at you know so so for example like like you know we are seeing a a big time rebound season from jamie ben we're seeing continued excellence from the top line we're seeing, you know, even, um, you know, Sagan and, and are doing much better as well. So it's one of those situations where I think that that when when the thing that's happening, if it was just if it was just the the first line winning every battle, winning every game, propping everything up, then I think that that would be problematic, and you may want to do something about it. Because you're not really you kind of rolling four lines in that case. You're just what you, whatever you're you're just riding one level of success, right? But in Dallas's situation, it's just that everything's working. And when everything is working, why change? Well, no, I understand, but it, it's not like everything is actually working i mean we've been trying to find a a third for marchman and sagan for for a month or so and we've we've tried some stuff i'll I'll grant that we had box in there for a while i know that that was kind of a kind of a a bad thing for most of our listeners here but you know the numbers weren't the numbers weren't that bad 
Um, kind of, kind of similar to the way that uh, who's the guy he's been playing with most of the most here? Um, why am I drawing a blank? Help me out here. Who's usually on the second line? With uh, with Sagan. With Sagan and Marchman. Uh, usually, at Tide Delandria has been yeah, the most successful. Well, he's been the most successful, and and I think the numbers kind of bear that out. But it kind of breaks the bend line. Uh, no, who's 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 the guy who was there there otherwise? Gurianov. Yeah, when Gurianov was healthy, well. he spent some time there. Um, it's been, you know, it's been, it for the most part, it's been, uh, they've had Fox there recently. Yeah, and they tried Blue Melon, that really didn't work. Um, Guriana hasn't worked all that well. I'm, I'm obviously missing somebody here, but uh, somebody will correct me <laughs> on that. But uh, again, this is this is an area where I think we need to play around a little bit because if if you know if we're going to go to the playoffs with what we have then we're going to have a, a little bit of a hole on that second line. And, and you and I both know that when you make the playoffs, you have to be able to have two solid mm-hmm. scoring lines. So here's, and, here's my question. And I know mm-hmm. we're, we're inching up on, on time. Do you risk, you know, and at this point Dallas is, is, you know, they're not like, they're not in the barn yet by any stretch of, of the imagination, but they've, they're, sitting you know top of the the central division technically or so they're they're they've now moved past winnipeg albeit with some games anyways in terms of points points percentage everything they're they're very firmly in the playoff picture right now is now the moment to potentially move away from pavelski and sons at least a little bit to see if you know it's, it's one of those where the just just picking on him for the sake of example, right? If if bumping you know bumping Joe Pavelski down to the Sagan line, that might make the Jason Robertson Hintz line you know marginally worse. But does it make the Sagan line better more than it makes the Hintz line worse? If that makes sense. No, it, it makes sense, and and I would come back and say I'd rather try, for instance, Wyatt Johnston on with with Sagan and Markman. Mm-hmm. Than, than I would starting with the top line and and seeing if we need to. I don't know that we want to break up the, the best line in the NHL. Um, I I would I would say let's try a couple things in house. I would actually wish that we would get a few more trial and errors uh, up and down between Dallas and Cedar Park. Do you we think that's a very- do you think that's a cap thing? Because they've I, got all of two hundred grand in space. Are they are they in a position where they could really shuffle pieces like that they are for road trips um they're they're kind of in a spot now where they have a little bit more leeway than they did before um but i think they're being kind of conservative because they want to build up a fairly decent bank before they do it but for instance I, what what we've been doing for road trips you take a look at what we did with freddie carlstrom and what it seems we're doing with riley tufty is we bring them up as an insurance policy but they they just kind of ride the pine and yeah. uh, and then go back down once the road trip's over and, and Blue Mill's really the only guy who got a look. And I think there are a handful of guys down in Cedar Park that kind of deserve a look. And so if you bring them up, at least get them a game or two to, to try and fit in. And, you know, Tufty, I don't think, is somebody who's going to fit in there with Marchman and Sagan. He's going he's gonna to drop into the fourth line. That's the role he's been playing down in Cedar Park. But certainly somebody like Riley Damiani um, would, would fit in with the second line. Um, no, I, I don't know that he's ready, but certainly somebody like Maverick Bork could could come up and do something like that. Um, 
No, I, I, I might actually try Riley Barber up there. Uh, he's been just killing it down down with the Texas Stars. So uh, again, there are some options out there that if you're going to experiment, you need to experiment now because you you otherwise you're going to get an injury and you're going to have to do it when you least want to do it. Yeah. Yeah, there's, you, there's something to be said for making a change when you can versus making a change when you have to. Yeah, yeah, and especially here, if the idea is to keep some guys, some guys rested and healthy through the season, and I know that 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 it's working out with rolling four lines, and that's going to be real useful down the line. But Dallas isn't a young team, and and giving some guys some break during the season is going to pay benefits in the playoffs. Yeah. Now, is, is Barber contracted with the Dallas Stars, or is he a, an AHL contract? Could they call him up? They, they can call him up. I think McKenzie's the, the guy on the AHL contract. Uh, I think he's probably down there for, uh, for, for a decent amount. But, yeah, that's obviously something that you need to pay attention to. Huh. Well, it will certainly be interesting. And I think, I think you're right. That is as far as this team is concerned. And, and to your point, it's not a critical issue right now because Jamie Ben is, is, you know, resurging and it's not a critical issue right now because the, the hence line is still the best line in hockey. And, you know, but, but you are correct, right? That, that's something that you can't, you, you don't smart teams don't assume that, that those patterns will continue. And so using some of their cushion to tinker and tweak and get to a functional second line, I think would be, uh, yeah, I, I definitely see the sense in it. Yeah, but uh, other than that, yeah, that, that, you know, cross your fingers and, and hope it continues. Dallas has been amazingly healthy, and, and I, I don't know, I haven't looked at the numbers. It may be, we may be the healthiest team in the NHL right now. I mean, how many man games lost if we had, especially yeah. with key players? Not a whole lot. Especially you know, after the COVID lost. season, I will, I will yeah. take it. So let's let's wrap this thing up with we're gonna we're gonna see if we can get you some little pr- some predictive redemption. They Dallas has three more games on the current road trip. They've got Washington on Thursday. They've got Carolina on Saturday, and then they've got Columbus this coming Monday. So six points on the board. How many of those points will Dallas skate away with and and fly back to to Texas? Well, let's see. I, you know, Columbus is a game that we should win. And, and, and the DeBoer era teams seem to be taking care of business when they can. So I think that's probably two. It is. The, the only thing, though, is the last game of the road trip, right? What, what better trap game can you think of? The team's been on the, on the road for a week at that point. They know that the, the plane flight home is beckoning. All they have to do is, you know, stomp the woeful Blue Jackets. Yeah, but it, I mean, it, it's Columbus. You don't want to hurt your ears by letting the cannon go off. So you're going to yeah. win the game. That's fair. I like it. I like it. Well, then, you know, tougher, of course, we've now, Ovi has hit 800. So o- Ovi, Ovi's tough. It's like, I'm going to watch that game. And it's like, do I do I root for Dallas or do I root, root for Ovi to tire past Gordy Howe? I mean, this is historic. So uh, that's going to be tough. Um, but Dallas, Dallas tends to do well against Washington, don't they? Except when Sergei Zubov's number is being retired. <laughs> True. <laughs> Which, thankfully, they probably, although if I'm the Capitals, I might try it. <laughs> yeah. Well, yeah, yeah he's right. it, it, in the modern day NHL, Zubov would probably go play with all the Russians in Washington and we wouldn't have his, his, his sweater on the rafters. There you go. So okay. I, I, I think we'd probably get one out of that one. And let's say we've got Carolina's a tough matchup. So I, I'm going to. I'm going to go five. I, I think we go one, one, and one uh, on the way out here. All right. 
Okay. I'm 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 an optimist. They they kind of the team impressed me against the Devils. I think Dallas gets all six points, but I think that that one of the Carolina Washington game is probably uh, there's there's the NHL approved extra credit of overtime and or a shootout. I, but I think that Dallas is I think Dallas gets three wins out of those three games. Wow, wow, you're uh, we we have a difference. This is not uh, six versus seven like the last time we did this, is it? You're uh, you're you're going for a full eight. Um, I think they. I, I like I like where we're at. Um, I don't necessarily think that the you know the Capitals aren't great, even though they've won five in a row at this point. I think that Dallas. You know, the only thing that really terrifies me about that matchup is if Dallas puts them on the power play, then Ovechkin might just pass Gretzky on Wednesday or on Thursday, which would be a little bit of a kick in the teeth. But I don't know. I, I like the matchup. I, I think that Dallas is going to be able to overwhelm Washington offensively and they've been better recently about staying out of the box. I think they'll do enough. Um, Carolina's tougher. That's a good team, man. That's just a real good team, but Dallas has beaten good teams this season. I think that's, that's going to be one they they'll, they'll have circled on the calendar and they'll take care of business. And then like you said, as, as much as I would, as much as I fear a trap game against Columbus, I think Columbus, the, the skill gap is such that in that sense, the trap game is they might have to work for it a little bit more than fans expect. It might be tighter, tenser, less fun than fans expect, but I think they ultimately get the job done. Well, I, I hope you're right because uh, that, that would put Dallas solidly in first place ahead of the uh, Winnipeg Rick bonuses and, oh, uh, and we'd be good. I hope I'm right too, but I always hope I'm right. So, you know, there we go. I frequently hope you're right. So, <laughs> We're in agreement. We're in agreement. Well, good. That's a, then, then we'll end in agreement. Mark, thank you for, for all of your hard work on Ryan Suter. And now please go watch Miro Haskin and highlights to kind of cleanse your palate. KT, as always, thank you for doing the hard work behind the scenes, making this thing beautiful and wonderful. Thank you for listening. Please do not forget to download. Do not forget to like all of those fun bits. And uh, we will speak soon. Probably we'll get one more of these things done before, uh, before the big man comes and brings us all new toys for the year. Thank you.